Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. You probably couldn't have guessed this, but we're continuing our Faith at Home series, and um, we're going to talk a little bit more about parenting this morning, and and I know some of you immediately, you don't have kids, and you're like, oh man, that horse is dead, Um, but I promise you that there are transferable principles that you can take and apply to your own life um, here in this message, so if not, you can come tell me. Before we get started, though, I'm going to give you guys permission, the non-parents, a 30-second permission to check out, okay? Here you go. Because I have uh, something I want to share with you. We have a next-gen parent meeting next Sunday. It's after second service, right around noon. Um, And this is for parents of kids birth through high school. Um, So you're going to hear details about schedules, um, how we communicate, things like that. Um, There's going to be light snacks, and if you have Kidmo-aged kids, there is child care for you. Um, So parents, please make it a priority to be there. Non-parents, come on back. Hey, you know, this honestly, it's, it's been a, a really great series, and we've got to hear from a variety of voices on a, a variety of different topics about the family. Paul, he did a phenomenal job last week, and, and really, just like Paul, I want you to know, I am not an expert on this, um, not, not in the slightest. I'm really, uh, I, I come to you with humility, and... Um, Man, I'm just someone who's in this thing called parenting with you. Um, In fact, if I'm honest, I often find parenting a little overwhelming. And so I wanted to give you a sense of what I mean by that. So I'm going to show you this quick video. Got right out. I think it was the second service. He was talking about parenting, and he he talks about our goal as parents. And I'm I'm right with him. I've said the same thing: is to release functioning adults into the world. You know, they're 18 or whenever it is that they just and and they can do this on their own, right? They can support themselves and stuff. You know. And he talked about how we move from caretaker to coach to consultant, and he's right on. Our jobs change over time. Babies. Mm-hmm. Need us to do everything for them. If you just leave a baby alone, I mean, they're, they're unsustainable, right? Without at least one parental figure there, somebody caring for them and providing for them, they wouldn't Wait. make it, right? And as they grow, and, and um, so and we, we keep them alive. Job number one, ultimately, is keep the tiny humans alive, right? And then as they grow and become aware of the world around them, we teach them how to do things safely. Don't stick that in the light socket, that kind of stuff, you know? Of course, I'm the parent, you know, if the kids were climbing on something, Vicky's the parent that's like, oh, no, no, you're going to get hurt. I'm like, no, let's see how they do. You know, that's me. But, um, but um, as they grow more, and so, well, anyway, so then our job, okay, we, we're, we're trying to keep them safe. And then as they grow more, they get filled with wonder about how the world works. And our job includes, we pick up more aspects of this job about including education and skills. And at some point in the process, oh. they start to become aware of more abstract things, okay. how things work. And this is uh, actually when you get to the question, where did babies come from? Oh. <laughs> you know that, and, and how did we get here? And, and that's when more spiritual conversations will begin to take place as they become aware of more abstract things. And so our job grows to include spiritual things as well. And we're holding all these pieces here and we're picking up all okay. these things along the, way, along the way as they come up. How to manage money, how to handle oh. relationships and conflict. Oh. Parenting is a big job, yes? Yes. 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 
Yeah, so uh, as you can see, I, I get a little overwhelmed sometimes um, by the gravity of parenting. I mean, there's a weight to it, right? It's like, it's, it's overwhelming. My first diaper change was a disaster. I, I can't even, no. I've been puked on more times than I can count. Typically, like in the middle of the night where I have like one eye open and the other eye is filled with crust. Um, we've dealt with fighting and arguing. It feels like on a daily basis, still happening. Um, we've been asked hard questions. You know, my kids are 10 and 12 and they're dealing with questions that I didn't have to think about until high school or in some cases even college. There, there's a weight to parenting especially for those of us that hope to have kids who are Jesus-centered adults when they leave our homes. Like Paul said, it's a big job. <laughs> there's, um, there's a fairly common phrase out there. Um, I don't know if, if you've heard it. It's about discipleship. And I've heard it from a number of different people, said it a number of different ways, but it's essentially this. It's the idea that everyone is being discipled. The question is who is discipling you. So this is true for all of us, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you're a, a child, you're a young adult, you're single, you're married without kids, whatever that is, whatever you find yourself in, everyone is being discipled. But who is discipling you? Are you being discipled by the culture? TV, movies, the internet, your news provider? Or are you being discipled by the scriptures, by the church, people in your lives who are centering their hearts and their lives on Jesus? Who or what is discipling you? So let's take that idea now and apply that to our children. Guaranteed. Your children are being discipled. The question is, who's discipling them? Is it culture? Netflix, TikTok, Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, school, friends. Or are they being discipled by parents who love them and are imperfectly trying to live a life centered on Jesus and point them to the scriptures? Now, to be really clear, like I am not in any way insinuating that we insulate our children from, from all of these things. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the impact that these influences are having on our kids? And, and what I've found is in a lot of cases, parents feel paralyzed about how to disciple their children. I mean, we just, we feel like, I'm too messed up. I don't, I don't even know, like, I haven't even figured out my own discipleship. I, I don't know the Bible. I, I'm not a prayer warrior. Like, I just, I can't do this. A and yet, the scriptures give us a different picture. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Paul shared this with us last week. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your strength, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. 
talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Like this is a multi-sensory discipleship culture. It shows up everywhere. It's in the way you decorate your house. It's in the way you conduct your conversations, the way that you think. It's written on your heart. It's written externally around you. It's, it's on your walls. It's everywhere you go. It's pointing your children towards Jesus. We're just not good at this in our culture. We're so busy and we're so distracted that we often miss opportunities to impart this, this wisdom and this grace that God has given us. The Jews, who this was written to originally, they were so good at this that they were able to continue as a people without a land or a place to cultivate their culture for nearly 2,000 years. They were so focused on imparting a vision for God into the next generation that despite cultural onslaught, their faith and their culture survived. The typical American kid handed an iPhone super early. Social media. Google has the answer for everything. And their friends say, just figure it out as you go. And most parents feel overwhelmed and ill-equipped. Like, we just don't know how to pass this on. And I feel this angst with you. This is not condemnation. So what do we do? You know, in a world with so many outside influences, how do we give our kids a vision for a Jesus-centered life that guides them when they face challenges like mental health issues, relationships, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, no, alcohol. Um, it starts, I believe, with lifelong conversations. So you want to establish with your kids that you are there to help them navigate life and all of his challenges. You want them to know that in every conversation, in every situation, I am for you. You can talk to me about anything. And I mean Anything. If you're struggling with your faith, talk to me. If you're struggling with your sexuality, talk to me. If you're struggling with relationships, talk to me. If you've done something that you're ashamed of, talk to me. You know, when it comes to sex, I, I've told my boys, we're, we're not just going to do, like, the talk. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, my experience was um, 30 minutes, one and done, 12 years old, I knew half of it already, and that's just not how we're going to do it. We're going to make this a lifelong conversation. And, and to be fair, I have a great dad, I love my dad, that was just my experience, one conversation, and we never spoke of it again. I was left to figure it out on my own. Like, reflect on your childhood. I wonder how many of you have a similar experience. And I don't blame my dad one bit for this mindset. Honestly, I think it's the mindset that our culture has and passes along. See, parents avoid the hard conversations, and they say things like, well, that's how my dad did it. Or, yeah, they'll probably learn that in school. 
or a church. But we're called to something different. We are called to disciple our kids, to impress these things, our faith, on them. And I'll never forget the day. So one of my boys, he said to me, and, and Lauren, he said, Dad, I don't think my friends can talk to their parents like I do. Like, I can tell you and mom anything. And then he starts to share a few of his friends who, they just literally don't tell their parents anything. They don't talk about anything of substance. And can I just tell you, like, first, first of all, like, this totally filled me up, you know? I gotta be honest, like, as a dad, one, that my son recognizes that we have something unique and special in our family that not everyone else has. But two, that he's actually grateful for it. Incredible. And not every moment is as sweet as that in our home, I promise you. But we have worked hard to develop an open dialogue with our boys. And it's a lot of work. I'll be honest. Sometimes they want to talk, about, talk to you about things. At the worst times, you're exhausted. I mean, it's hard work. But it's incredibly rewarding for all of us. See, the big issues in life, they can't be left to like one conversation where you're like, you get out of there and you're like, oh, thank goodness we're done with that. It's lifelong conversations with our kids that, that grow in complexity and nuance at the same pace that they do. So how do you do this? I have no idea. Um, but one thing that we've tried to do in our home is normalize awkward. Yeah, that's right. You know what I'm talking about. You're having a conversation. You start like, oh, feeling like this, like tickle down your spine, like, ooh, we're going there. Okay, you feel it, they feel it. And what you really want to do is jump ship, right? Like, run, run, get away. But we've got to create a culture in our home that says, you know what? We're going to push through this awkward because God has placed me in your life to help you navigate these things. So they ask a really pointed question about sex. Awkward. You've got to push through it. Because if you don't talk to them about it, or they don't feel like they can talk to you about it, they're going to ask their friends. Or they're going to ask Google, hey, Siri. Now, for me, like, my dad never said we couldn't talk about this stuff. He never said that to me. But he also never made me feel comfortable sharing it. And so that's our role is again, let them know you can talk to me about anything. They ask a really personal question about your past. You know, like where you've messed up. Like, I mean, really personal. Sex, drugs, alcohol, you name it. You gotta be real with them. Share your experience. I mean, whatever's age appropriate, right? But be real. 
Share how it impacted you. Share your failures. Share your successes. And show them, talk to them about how God worked through all of it. I have shared some of my most shame-filled failures with my boys. Like, some of it really shocked them. Like, you did what? This is hard. I didn't want to do that. But it, it tore down walls. It gave me some credibility. Like, I'm not just some guy talking from a mountaintop who doesn't actually have any real-world experience. Like, oh, no, you, you know not to do this because you did it or because you have friends that did it, or whatever that looked like. We've got to normalize awkward. Because if we don't, there are so many other places that our kids will have these awkward conversations. And most of them do not point to Jesus. Third thing I would say is give your kids an awe and a reverence for God. You know, help them to see that there's a God who loves them, a God who created them in his image, who created everything with just a word. Help them develop a sense that, that God is bigger than they are, that he's bigger than their problems, and maybe most importantly in my mind, that he's bigger than their understanding. We can and we should seek to understand God. But perhaps the most important thing we can understand about God, besides his character, besides what he's done for us in Christ, is that he is so far beyond our comprehension. Isaiah 55 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to help our kids understand the certainties of our faith, yes, but also the mystery of God, that he cannot be placed in a box of our own human understanding or our sensibilities because his ways are higher. And so what I've told my kids is, you know, whenever there's a situation that I don't understand, about the way the world works, the way that God works, or, or maybe even something like that I think, well, if I was God, I'd probably do it different. I disagree. In those circumstances, one of us is wrong, me or God. It's probably me. See, there's a, there's a grandness and a mystery to God that, that we will not fully understand this side of heaven, and we want to pass that on to our kids. Why? Because when life is challenging, when the complexities of adulthood seem to violate the simplicity of what they learned about the goodness of God in Sunday school, that they can realize that our God is far more complex and far more mysterious than we understand. We can't always understand what he's doing and why he's doing it, but what we can understand is that his character and his goodness always remains. So we disciple our kids. We, we have lifelong conversations with them that normalize awkward, and we want to give them an, an awe and a reverence for God. 
You know, there's, there's another helpful passage in the scriptures um, in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 5 and 6. And there's just one verse I want to pull out of that for you. It's Ephesians 6, 4. It says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So to start, I just want to point out um, the Greek word that Paul uses for fathers may have primarily been directed towards like the male parents, um, but it was also used to refer to parents in general. And in this kind of section of this letter, Paul's been speaking to both parents, and it seems likely that he has both in mind here in verse 4, and, and also the same word is used in Hebrews to refer to both of Moses' parents. So the, the main point here is, ladies, you're not off the hook. That said, this passage, it goes a really similar track to the Deuteronomy 4 passage, um, except, or the Deuteronomy 6 pass, passage, but the difference is this is preceded with a negative command. Do not exasperate your children. Or as the ESV says, do not provoke your children to anger. Man, this is hard. Like, I'll be honest, sometimes my boys provoke me to anger. What do I want to do? Like, let's go. I got something for you too. And, and there's this part of me that really feels like if my discipline has angered my child, I'm doing it right. And it's tricky because I, I want to have the consequences of disobedience outweigh the, the, the fun that they had in the offense. But Paul is saying here, do it in such a way that you do not provoke them to anger. Like, honestly, it's pretty counterintuitive to me, but most of following Jesus is. So what exasperates our kids? There's a lot of places we could go here. Um, I want to talk about three of them. I actually had eight, but it was a 112-minute sermon, so um, I've cut it down to three. Sermon-length jokes, they're always great. Um, anyways, the first is this, um, physical and verbal abuse. You know, I think it goes without saying, it's fairly obvious that there is no place for physical abuse of a child in our care. But oftentimes, our words can be just as painful. So one author, he, he tells a story um, of the impact that a parent's words had on his wife. When she was 14 years old, she was on a swim team. Now, Michael Phelps has done a great job of showing us, like, you can eat a lot on a swim team and not gain weight. But she got injured. And so she's still hanging around with her swim team friends, eating with them, and she started to put on some weight. And she had no awareness of it. So one day she comes in and her dad says to her, your jeans look really tight. You look like you've put some weight on. I bet you weigh 135 pounds. You, you should go weigh yourself. And so she goes to weigh herself, and what does she find? That she actually weighs 140 pounds. And that one interaction sowed the seeds in her life that resulted in being hospitalized for bulimia and anorexia. And she didn't recover until she was 22 years of age. A dad's careless words change the course of his daughter's life. 
We want our language to be seasoned with salt, as Colossians says, and, and Jeff and Leslie reminded this of this a few weeks ago. And that's not just a, that is not a passage about husbands and wives, even. It's, it's just a passage about relationships, our kids included. We, we want our words to bring life to our kids, not tear them down, intentionally or unintentionally. Second thing, we provoke our kids to anger through overprotection. Now, you might be saying, now what? Because it sounds like you started off saying we need to protect our kids, but now it sounds like you're saying we need to not protect our kids. Like, it's confusing, isn't it? But there's a difference between overprotection and appropriate protection. You see, we need to let our kids experience the world the good and the bad, as age appropriate, while under our care. So that they can navigate these things on their own when they're no longer under our care. In fact, I would much rather for my kids to experience the world while living under my roof and having guidance and guardrails than for them to experience it for the very first time on their own, trying to navigate it themselves. The intent of overprotection is rarely to provoke a child to anger. Like, that's not what we're trying to do here. But it's often the result. Well-meaning overprotection is a common cause of resentment in children. And so if you smother your children, if you overly restrict where they can go and what they can do, if you don't trust them to do things on their own, or you're continually questioning their judgment, you are building a barrier between you and your kids. The older they get, we need to give our kids more freedom and, and be willing to, to release control, as Paul talked about last week. The third way that we provoke our kids is we give them commands rather than conversation. Man, this guy's really into conversation. Jeez. Um, but look, I really do think there is a time and a place for commands. So don't, don't hear me saying, like, you should never give your child the commands. I, I wouldn't survive in that world either. So that's not what I'm saying. But in my own personal experience, there was nothing more frustrating as a middle schooler or a high schooler than being given a command without any context. It was infuriating. Like, I would be told to do something... No, no real explanation. And I, man, my first response would be like, that is so stupid. Like, this is so lame. What's wrong with my parents? Who would do that? Why would anyone do that? So I want to share a tool that I think will be helpful in framing what conversation looks like and the importance of conversation. And this is actually something that Scott Rideout um, shared with our staff when he was here a few weeks ago. Um, he was sharing it as a, a leadership principle. But I, I think it's also very applicable in our journey as parents. So uh, it, it's, it's just a helpful tool to keep in mind as we, we make that move from, from caretaker to coach to consultant. And so this is, um, this is a, it's a teeter-totter. Do you guys remember teeter-totter? Yay! Maybe you call this seesaw? So in the center... You have B. This is your child's character. This is who they are when no one is looking. And then on the far left, you have no 
and do. These are instructional. This, this is, I want you to know the rules so that you can do what is expected. In business, this is a lot of uh, how a lot of organizations train their employees. In the home, it's essentially like, I give the commands, you know what they are, you follow them, if only. On the right side, you have see and relate. I want you to see what I see so that you can relate to it and take the appropriate course of action. In the business world, this is how you release leaders. You, you show them what you see in the hopes that they will know the right direction to go. In the home, I call this raising thinkers. It's teaching your child how to think instead of just what to do. And the primary vehicle, again, is conversation. So this is asking questions about what do you see? Talking to them about what I see and helping them come to the right conclusions themselves. Kids who've been taught to think, and, and more specifically, taught to think as a Jesus follower with a biblical worldview are much better equipped to deal with a world that is consistently pointing them in the opposite direction. And again, this is something that moves along as your children grow, right? Um, conversations with toddlers. Oh, no. It's not. It's, it's hard, right? You're just going in circles. They don't understand. Like, no, it's probably more appropriate to, to give more commands at that age. And then they start asking, why? 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 But as your kids get older, you need to move towards conversation. Commands, one-way communication. I'm the communicator. You are the receiver. I tell you what to do. Your job is to do it. Communication or conversation is two ways, right? And a good conversation requires listening twice as much as we speak. Two ears, one mouth, right? Conversation is about asking open-ended questions to get the other person talking. Conversation is about seeking to understand before being understood. And you might be thinking, man, I can't get my kid to say more than two words. Conversation. Yeah, right. And I have a lot of empathy for that. And we've had moments like that too. Um, but I just want to encourage you to like, put yourself out there. Like, take a risk. Tell your kids, like, I really want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to know what's important to you. I want to know what makes you tick, what gets you fired up, what excites you. Start asking questions about that. And it can be really hard because sometimes, let's be honest, like what your kid's into is so not what you're into. Or, or what do I do when uh, my kid just like lobs a grenade on me, right? Just drops a huge bomb. You know, they confess something major that they've done or they share an opinion that's contrary to mine or maybe even one that isn't biblical. Like, those are tough. I'll tell you what you shouldn't do. Freak out! 
That's the the natural inclination though, right? Like, oh no, you didn't. And and I'll be honest, like sometimes I'm, I'm good at that and sometimes I am just not. They'll lob a grenade on me and man, honestly, my goal is just like, don't overreact. Like, I, I, want, I want to listen because I want them to know that they can tell me anything. And so my trick, my son's in the room, cover your ears. This is not for you. Um, but my trick, when I want to say something harsh, is um, I just, I ask a clarifying question. And I do this in all relationships. This is not just parenting. But, you know, I'll ask a clarifying question. Just like something to add more context. It shows I'm listening and it gives me a moment to like get my composure, which is necessary. Um, you know, it, it doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences, but it does mean that I'm going to try to listen because I understand that my kids need to be heard. They, they, they need to feel heard. And when they do, they are much more willing to listen. So two-way conversation allows your kids to be heard. It helps avoid exasperating them. And so maybe, you know, all these things, great. Appreciate all that, Ben. Now I feel like you did in the video. Um, I'm completely overwhelmed. Um, This all seems incredibly hard. And I agree. It is. Um, So I want to just give you a few resources that I have found incredibly helpful. They all come from a Christian nonprofit called Axis. And Axis uh, has a mission to essentially help parents raise Jesus-centered kids by equipping parents to have conversations with their kids around today's issues. And this is probably most helpful as your kids get older. Um, They have a few different resources that I have found immensely helpful and a few others that I I haven't yet because, um, you know, either my kids aren't there yet or whatever. Um, But they all look very good. So the first is a free, cult, free tool. It's called the Culture Translator. The Culture Translator. And what they do is they take like what's happening in pop culture and they um, will email parents about it to help them stay up to date on movies, shows, social media trends, things that are impacting your kids and their world. And you get that email every Friday. And if you become a member through a paid subscription, I think it's like 10 bucks a month roughly, um, they'll give you a little more context and they'll even help you frame some of these issues biblically so that you can start conversations with your kids. It even gives you some questions that you might want to ask them about it. So did you know that Beyonce is changing the lyrics to her song, Heated? Bet you didn't know that. She used the word spaz in the song. And that's an ableist slur in the UK. Um, so it's kind of derogatory towards um, those that are, have disabilities. And um, maybe you didn't know that. I did, because I get the culture translator on Fridays. <laughs> now, the point isn't that I know about Beyonce's word change, so I'm super cool. Um, or the fact that I know that hip opening stretches are the latest thing on TikTok um, for spiritual reasons. You know, you can read about that on your own. Um, or men like Drake or Harry Styles, Jock Peterson. Yep. Um, they're, uh, they're wearing pearl necklaces now. That's a trend. 
The point isn't that I know these things. Um, the point is to try to understand what's happening in the world that your kids are living in so that you can have a conversation with them to help them frame those issues biblically. And if you're not an email kind of person, they also have a culture translator podcast. So I haven't listened to that, but I'm sure it's great. A couple other resources they have that are not free, but are awesome. They have parent guides on everything from depression and anxiety to video games, social media, Kendrick Lamar, who's he? Um, LGBTQ+, that's awesome, Lauren. Um, There's a variety of topics, and these guides will just explain this stuff to you and provide resources and tools to help you navigate these issues with your kids. They also have some video-based conversation kids kits that give you a biblical framework for issues like bullying, dating, sex, and suicide, along with helpful tools to engage in conversation with your kids. So Axis, um, it just provides some really helpful tools to have these two-way conversations with your kids to talk about their world and help them think it through the lens of a Jesus follower. And I just can't encourage it enough. So maybe you're like, yeah, that's great. I uh, appreciate the resource, super helpful. I'll definitely check that out. I'm still totally overwhelmed. <laughs> what do you do? You know, I, I can't do this on my own. It's too hard. I just, I, I don't, I don't know. And I just want you to know you're right. You can't do it on your own. But you don't have to. You know, going back to that Ephesians 6 passage, one of the things that's often missed there is what Paul writes in Ephesians 5. It's just before he starts talking about the family. And the whole context of this, this passage of Scripture is basically how to live. And he gives some things like, don't do this, don't do this. And then he says in Ephesians 5.18, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then he writes all these things about what faith at home should look like. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. You weren't meant to, and you don't have to. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a spirit-filled parent. You are a spirit-filled child. You are a spirit-filled grandparent. Like, do you know what that means? Like, do you fully understand who you have living in you? The Holy Spirit is our helper. He seals our salvation. He guides us. He gives us power, wisdom, spiritual illumination, and gifts. He lives in us, convicts us of sin, makes us more like Jesus, and oh, yes, he loves us. Like Parenting is hard. But if we do it filled with God's spirit, it can also be really sweet. It's ups and downs, it's highs and lows, but God is working through all of it as you go. And you get to experience some sweet moments like one that we had recently. So um, our oldest son, Benjamin, he was having uh, a real hard time at the end of the school year. Um, just this last most recent school year. His, his attitude, not great. Consistently challenging us. He asked him to do something, he goes, make me. 
Whoa, really? We took him to lunch for his birthday. It wasn't fun. You know, we had a sixth grade continuation. It's just a hard night. It was a hard season, and we didn't know what to do other than to pray. And a few days after the school year ended, we had a little bit of time to um, just just hang out with him, the three of us, Lauren, Benjamin, and I. His brother was at a Rockies game, and we're in the car, and he says, I wanted to tell you guys something. Like, ooh, ears perk up as a parent, right? And he shares that he'd been hearing this voice lately. And he really couldn't tell us, like, what the voice was saying, but what he could tell us is how it made him feel. And he was angry, he was frustrated. It was upsetting him to the point that it really affected his behavior, his attitudes towards us. And so he tells us that he was in the shower that day and he heard this voice. And he said, in the name of Jesus, leave me alone. And it did. It was gone. He stopped hearing that voice. He stopped being angry. Honestly, it changed the trajectory of our whole summer. And maybe you're like me, you know, you you enter into conversations like that and you maybe start at a point of skepticism. And, you know, the scriptures are really clear that, that, that there's a spiritual world, there's a spiritual battle, and I have no skepticism about that. But sometimes I'm skeptical about what people apply to that or what they say is spiritual and not spiritual. But here's what I can tell you is after that moment, we had a different kid. And it's crazy. Uh, two, three days later, he asked this question, which the question itself is remarkable. He says, um, Am I being better behaved and more respectful? And for us, we're just like, yes. Now, that doesn't happen for our son unless there's conversations about faith and spiritual battles that we face in our home. That doesn't happen unless he has a mother who, who says to him, when you face something like that, you say Jesus' name because there's power in that name. It doesn't happen unless you have spirit-filled parents leading spirit-filled kids. Man, we are far from perfect. I promise you that. But when it does happen, it's so sweet to see your kids experiencing God at work. You know, life rarely, if ever, turns out the way that we'd expect, right? It's, it's so much harder. It, it throws some really challenging things our way. And it's so easy to wonder where God is, what he's doing, 
but we don't we don't always understand this mysterious God, but we can trust his goodness. We can trust his love for us, and we can hold on to hope knowing that in life and in parenting, his character and his love remain. That his spirit is with us and guiding us. Even when we feel overwhelmed, even when we fall short. Would you pray with me? God, we just, we come to you in humility, saying, uh, God, we're often overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed as parents. We're overwhelmed as children. We're overwhelmed as people um, in a life, in a world where there are situations that are far bigger than our ability to navigate, our ability to handle. And so we are so grateful for a God who is bigger than those really big problems. A God who loves us in and through all of those things. And so God, I pray for overwhelmed parents this morning that you would be um, with them, that your spirit would lead them and guide them because they are spirit-filled parents. Would they not lose sight of that? Would they trust you in every situation? And I pray that for each one of us, God, as we navigate life, that we would remember that you are with us, that you are for us, that you have never left us, that you will never forsake us, and that your love never fails. God, we entrust all of this to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.